0: Hey, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast, Richard. Nice to see you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, so excited. It took us a while to get this in the diary, actually. It
1: did, but we're both busy people with lots going on, so (laughs) these things happen. Exactly. But we're here now. We're here now, that's the main
0: thing. So, Richard, you've spent 30 years in construction, development, TEDx speaker, mentor, advisor, you know, there's a lot going on in your world and a passionate advocate for mental health as yeah. well, based on some things that have happened in your personal journey. So we're going to have loads to talk about.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a really interesting conversation because <laughs> I know you've had like an amazing journey as well. So yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to share some of each other's experiences and have a great conversation for the people that are watching and... And listening.
0: Yeah, although you are the star of the show today, Richard, so it's all about you, my love. It's all about you. Um, I'm not
1: even the star of my own show.
0: <laughs> You're the star of your own life, right? Yeah. That's how it is. Blame
1: one, I'm my own star, that's it.
0: <laughs> and your star is very much ascending, I would say, right now.
1: Uh, who knows? Let, you know, we're all on our own journey, aren't we? And the, I think the, the biggest thing, and you know, let's not muck about it, mental health's a massive thing, mm. and the biggest contributory factor to that is that people compare what they're doing with other people and comparison is absolutely the thief of joy make no mistake about that Mm. and so many people get caught up in this kind of mindset of well they're doing it why aren't i doing it well because you're where i'm a firm believer we are where we're meant to be so today i'm meant to be here soaking wet with wet feet (laughs) doing this podcast because that's what we said we're gonna do and you know it's got to be fun right but i'm a massive believer we are where we're meant to be and because someone else hasn't achieved it and somebody they're comparing themselves to, that doesn't mean that they're, they're bad or they're rubbish or they're not worthy of anything. It just means that they're where they're meant to be. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely yeah. right. And, and, you know, we're going to talk about your journey, sort of where life started for you, how you've got yeah. to where you are today. So that is the perfect kind of segue into that. So do you want to just give us a, a quick canter through, yeah. Richard?
1: It will be more of a gallop. Um, <laughs> uh, no jaw riding. We don't do jaw riding. Not on this show. <laughs> Um, so I was born in Birmingham, um, lived there till I was eight, It's where my mum was from. Um, my dad was from Southampton, um, and they met when my dad went to Birmingham to go to uni. So we lived there until I was eight years old, and my dad got promoted, we moved to Bristol. And the unintended, and I'm a massive believer of unintended or unintentional consequences, the unintentional consequence of that was that I moved from Birmingham, where they talk like that, <laughs> to Bristol, where they sound like have just got out of a tractor. So, I got quite badly bullied um, for my accent and the way I spoke. Right. Not helped by the fact that the education system in Bristol is not as far forward in terms of where the curriculum is as it is in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that there's a, there anybody's any cleverer or anything. They're not. They just teach different stuff at different times. So, in every lesson, I, I'd already covered a lot of the stuff, which also didn't help. So, yeah, I got quite badly bullied as a kid, you know, and I wasn't small, I was quite a lump. Um, pretty pretty trim and quite fit unlike now um but yeah it was quite tough and at 11 i got a job in the pub i got my first job um which started off as working in the kitchen washing pots and pans um, for one night to do a trial on a thursday night i think it was and within a week i was doing thursday night friday night saturday night sunday lunchtime washing up in the kitchen and then two or three weeks later the guy that used to do the bottling up mm. in the in, before school just didn't turn up one day. So they came and knocked my door and said, look, do you want to come and do this? Got everyone out of bed. It was, like, really early. So, yeah. So within a month, I went from no job to working four nights a week, a Sunday, and every morning before school.
0: At 11? At 11. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fucking... I was
1: earning about 80 quid a week. Wow. And I loved it. But the best bit was that I could use some of my wages to actually pay off the bully so they'd leave me alone. Mm. So I kind of, like, won on two hands. But I actually learnt a lot of valuable stuff then that I didn't even realise I'd learnt until much later. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I absolutely. You know, I was. The only advice my mum and dad could give me was look, just turn up and work hard. Be on time and work hard. So that was just what I did. I kept my head down. I didn't like act the fool. I just got on with what tasks were given me. When I'd finished, I'd ask, "Well, what's next?" And it's it just served me really well. They were they were quite pleased with me. And then two and a half years later, my dad got promoted again. We had to move from Bristol, which is down here, to Buckinghamshire, which is a, another quite a long way. And the same thing happened again. Different accent, different... We lived in um, a small village and we went to school in like the local town, um, but there were different educational authorities. So there was a lot of kind of village versus town, sort of like young right. anger and violence and yeah. stuff, which was not not great. So that was a bit tough, but, you know, I sort of employed the same lessons that i learned in the first place but i lost my job because obviously i moved and that was massive that was i felt i felt like a little bit lost
0: Mm.
1: and on my first day in school there was a lad there called john bradley and he was just really nice to me he was like look come on oh like come and talk to me you'll be all right be fine and i'll come back to john later on but that sort of reaffirmed that actually people my own age were okay because for, for for the last two and a half years, which was sort of 20% of my life, I've been pretty much mixing with adults. And it was really cool. I got on really well with them. But I hated the people my own age because they were just, like, horrible, yeah. not really into the same stuff I was. So so I left home at 16, went to work in the construction industry and never, ever looked back. You know, I was my dad did an extension when we were five and I helped in the footings doing that. And I knew then, just taking a pile of, like, raw materials and building something that's physical i mean we're looking at a map with loads of property on which yeah. is quite interesting but <laughs> but to create something physical and tangible from a pile of random stuff was like yeah i like this i like this a lot so i always knew that i was gonna gonna do something in construction and that's pretty much where i've been ever since i did a spelling an estate agent in the recession for a couple of years which was i didn't really enjoy it i liked the buzz of doing the deal because as much as i love constructing things I love doing deals, whether that's restructuring deals, whether that's sorting something out, sorting out a bad situation in a business, whether that's putting a deal together to sort a business out, to move it forward and sell it for someone, whatever the deal is, or whether it's negotiating a contract. I just love doing deals. And if Tom Hartley hadn't nicked the tagline, the Deal (laughs) Maker," I would have had it for myself. But... That's what I enjoy doing. I like building stuff and I like operating in the construction and property industry. So
0: you found something that you loved yeah. at quite a young age, actually, because at 16, I mean, some people never find yeah, what their exactly. thing is yeah. for and years. And I think there's nothing you know. worse
1: than not knowing what you want to do and where your passion is, ultimately. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. So I think that's great. And, and you know, I don't know, with the, with the bullying and all of that, did that... Did that affect you as an adult or was it just at that moment in time, which was quite a long period where it was obviously pretty rough for you? Did you park it there when you kind of went into the world of work and construction or did some of that stay with you as an adult? Because I think it's an interesting thing because what happens in our childhood can often affect us as, as, as an adult, can't it? And it's just interesting yeah, from and your point so of view. Do you know view.
1: what? It's really interesting because I've been really looking forward to this interview. And I've done loads, and I've no one's ever asked me that question, so well done firstly <laughs> i think I think some of it I parked there mm. because it was at the moment. um I don't bet any grudges again for the people that did it, you know, they were in their own space at the time, you know, and where are they are in life, and that's where they're meant to be. um I think I learned some stuff at the time, I think I've learned more now, looking back on it um but I think. I've seen, as, as tough as that was, I've seen far worse bullying in business and in industry, mm. even like up until like a few weeks ago, something I saw in the workplace. Um, but that was a, a board that I'm a trustee on. It wasn't a business I'm directly operationally involved in. There's more that goes on. There was an awful lot of bullying. There's a lot of bullying in construction, but there's a lot of bullying just in general business mm. because not all bullying is physical. Far more of it is actually the subtle, slight, underhand stuff yeah. that happens and goes on. I mean, my wife had to resign her job in the police because she was bullied. Mm. It was the only job she ever wanted to do. She set her whole life on being a career copper. And the way they treated her and the bullying that went on meant she had to resign, so... Yeah, so
0: yeah, it comes does happen. in all shapes and sizes and all, all forms. Yeah, massively. So I guess your radar's a little bit up for it, uh, you know, aware of, of what's going on. Yeah, hugely. Probably more than a lot of other people, possibly.
1: Yeah, massively. I mean, there's all sorts of different things people call it. I mean, someone was talking about it the other day and was sort of branding it emotional intelligence. I'm not sure it is. I think it's just being aware of actually... I had an amazing boss who was an MD of a business I worked in, and... We got on really well she wasn't massively sort of construction orientated but she knew how to read a room and her people skills were off the scale Mm. and one of the things that she taught me was looking at team dynamics and dynamics in meetings and dynamics in when you're pitching and all sorts of stuff which was really fascinating so it's something i always look at and like as an example so when we sit down with for a meeting now we always always do a pulse check Mm. and i'll lead on it and no matter who it is whether it's client facing or internal And we do, so we do two scores, both out of 10. Where are you personally and where are you in business? And just a sentence about why. And some of the stuff that that has unpacked has Mm -hmm. been off the scale. I did it in a housing association and somebody actually just broke down completely because they said they'd never felt safe enough to tell the world that they were openly gay. We were a contractor and they brought that to the table in what should have been a kickoff meeting for a massive project. Wow. And that was the first time they'd ever felt safe enough that they could have that conversation and openly admit to to how they felt. And I got a lot of stick for doing that. And I don't really get stick about it anymore, but I did at the time and for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But how many businesses do you go in? And you've been in a lot of businesses for different roles yes. where you go in and, you, you know, you'll sit at a reception. You might be early because 10 minutes early is five minutes late in my book, but where the values are on the wall and one of them is innovation most of the staff in most businesses don't even know what the values are but you can't have innovation if people don't feel safe to share ideas yeah. because innovation is doing something you've never done before well yeah. you've got if if you are, if you want your staff to have the courage to try and do something new they've got to have the psychological safety to be able to do that mm-hmm. and if you can't create that culture why have you got innovation as a value on your business because actually it's not you're not true to your values, are you? so who are you trying to kid? and I see it all the time and it frustrates the hell out of me. It's like this is not difficult, but it has to be led from to all culture of business has to come from top down
0: yeah no i agree and 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 also you know i always i often talk about in businesses that I've run. You know, you've got a typical organization structure with the boss at the top and a, a pyramid you know yeah. and the, the customer facing teams or the you know the guys on the on the building site, yeah. whatever it might yeah. be at the bottom and actually I always say no reverse the, the pyramid yeah. because these guys are the most important they're yeah. the ones that really know what's going on yeah. and if you have a mindset and a culture to that where you create a safe space for people to be themselves be able to openly speak about stuff and to come up with great ideas you're going to get the best out of people hundred percent um, but you're
1: going to be able to attract the best people because people are going to yeah. want to come and work in that environment yeah. and I've never seen a business yet where if you took, look at the people that, that are lower down in that pyramid if you don't have those people in that pyramid you don't have a role at the top you don't have a business yeah. and yet so, and specifically in construction so many people treat the guys at the bottom which very often these days are not directly employed they're subcontractors get treated extremely poorly Yeah, it's like what they, you don't understand is if you don't have these subcontractors You've got a business to so treat these people fairly, treat them with respect. And you might actually find you get a different outcome.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about construction a little bit then, because obviously you got into it at five. Yeah, when, it was when... my first
1: footing at five. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we were chatting before we pressed record. You said, "I said it's thirty years, isn't it, Rich? You've been in the business." Well, actually, forty. I was going forty. There's <laughs> a photo got... on
1: my phone. While you're talking, I'll try and find it and I'll <laughs> show you. The, I'll show
0: you the evidence. Fantastic. I believe you. I believe you, because I know right. you don't lie. So, so you start. You, you obviously had that. You know that. Early taster with your dad at a very young age, and Certainly then did. and then at 16 you got into it properly. So that was was that that was working on a site um, yeah. and kind of learning the trade, mm-hmm. presumably, yeah. for quite a while. Yeah. And then you've progressed. I mean, you've done some huge, huge developments, haven't you? Over yeah, the years? Big
1: pull, yeah, big yeah. So can you talk about units. the
0: progression a little bit? Because I think sometimes people might look at you and they might go, Go, oh, Richard does all these massive developments in construction, but you didn't. Immediately yeah, you get into yeah, that. Exactly, you've got to, you've got to yeah. earn your stripes along the way, haven't you? And it's gradually you it progress. So, out, yeah. so, can you just explain that bit of the journey yeah, and how the type of projects that you've kind of been involved in, where you started? Because someone might be thinking, yeah, I want to get into this, mm-hmm. but it just seems a bit daunting. How do I get to those big projects where you've got to start? At the so, bottom?
1: so, for a long time, I had massive imposter syndrome because I never did the whole uni thing. I know you did, mm-hmm. and I've massive respect for anybody that can commit that time to do it. I think it's a different model now. My oldest son's going off to uni, staring down the barrels of 60k debt that is going to cost yeah. him to do it. Yeah. So I think it's a different world now. Um, I chose not to do <laughs> Education and me, until the last 10 years, didn't really see eye to eye. Yeah. I went to school because it's where the fag shop was and the rugby pitch. <laughs> my interest, and I've actually just found, I was the first year to be given a national record of achievement, and I've just found it because my parents are moving house. Wow. So <laughs> so I went into construction on on the tools as a trade. I was a young dad and I thought I had a conversation with my wife or my first wife, I should say, be clear. And construction on the tools is a young man's game. Yes, there are people that are doing it in their fifties and sixties, but it's not ideal. So I put myself through college. I did an ONC HNC, um, day release. So I had to take a day off site and I was on price work. So if I wasn't there, I didn't get paid. And then I had to do the coursework and the homework, which was probably another eight to 14 hours work outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And then a friend of my ex-wife's was a QS for a big house builder. And they came around for dinner one night and he was like, you're doing really well at this, like, this coursework. Because he, like, he was probably my second kind of unofficial mentor because yeah. mentors are so, so important. And he said, look, you're clearly, this is what you're destined to do. Why don't you just write a CV out? And just send it to some recruitment agencies. Just fax it to some recruitment agencies because that's how Back long ago it was. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, what's a CV? Because I literally I'd know, you know, I was a tradesman. I didn't know know a knows, don't know what a CV. I thought they? a CV was a French car. <laughs> so I wrote, I wrote out a CV. He then went, look, I think you need to structure it like a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Sent it off. And we sent it to one agency because I was like, look, I don't, I'm not a kind of like massive bandwidth. Let's do a thousand. Let's do one and just see where it goes because I was really nervous and apprehensive about it. And they rang me on the Monday. That was on, I think we faxed it on the Sunday night after we'd finished it. And on the Monday, they phoned me and I was like, what? This is, but I had nothing to compare to and contrast it. I didn't have a contrast frame. So I was like, what? This is crun- And it was, I kind of got a bit overwhelmed and they were like, we've got you five interviews. I was like, what does mean you mean you've got? It's <laughs> like 10 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Yeah. So anyway, so they lined me up five interviews. I went to three. On the third one, like I think one was on Tuesday, one was Wednesday, and there was one on Thursday. It was the other side of the M25, so I had to take a day off to do it. Got stuck in traffic on the M25, got there an hour and a half late. I had to be interviewed by a different person than the person I was meant to be because he would had to go to a meeting. And the guy stood up at the, end of the interview and went, I'll offer you the job. I was like, wow. So I had a conversation with my mum who gave me some advice, which was, I'll I'll give it a week. And I was like, "Okay." And for a lot of years, I was like, that hurt quite a lot. But I think now, having sort of, you know, done quite a lot of work on myself, I think actually probably that was what I needed to hear. Because that, from that day to this, has been my fuel. That's like my nuclear rod. That's my fuel to, like, I am going to do this. And do you know what? No matter what anyone puts in my way... I'm gonna smash through it now my mental health has been like someone's ECG it's not always been great I've had times when it's been really poor but that's always been my fuel is to like you know absolutely be the best version of me that I can be Mm. which is why now I'm so massively invested in my own education and and training and and sort of personal development really because i literally just, I, don't, I believe that tomorrow I'll be a better version than I am today. Mm. Today, I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know where it'll end up. But that's the really exciting bit for me. And I also believe that people pay me to coach and mentor them. I'm a non-exec of other businesses. I'm a trustee of charities. I owe it to all of those people that invest in me to be the best that I can be for myself. So that's why education's always been massive for me. Mm. I've enjoyed it, it's been huge. So I got offered the job, I accepted the job and I had massive imposter syndrome, but I also had this kind of feeling that if they've invested in me, I owe them big time because they've, they've taken a bit of a gamble on me. I haven't gone the traditional route where I was up against people with degrees and like uni track records and stuff. So for the next 10 years, I just worked my nuts off. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm not. I am proud of it because it did work my nuts off, but it cost me my first marriage, um, and I didn't have a great relationship with my son um, because I, just, I was a workaholic. I was absolutely relentless. I was up at 4 a.m. every day. I was leaving the house at five. I'd get home at eight. Dinner. I'd do three or two or three hours paperwork. I was literally surviving on Red Bull and Pro Plus tablets. But I went from site manager to operations manager in ten years. Mm-hmm. We did it. We were literally about to sign the documents to a management buyout, and it was only because it was bank backed and the chairman of the business said, you're not getting funding. I'm not letting people go into debt to buy the business that it didn't happen. Otherwise it would have happened, which was really frustrating for a lot of people because we'd put a lot of time and energy into that to try to get it to work in building that, you know, you've been there, you know, what it's like, you have to put, produce all manner of projections. There was a whole lot and it's not even just the paperwork. I had to have a lot of conversations with my wife, with my family about, because banks don't lend money for MBOs without you actually, sorry, management buyers, yeah. without you having some skin in the game. Absolutely. And, you know, it was pain money, they used to call it back mm. in the day. Now it's called skin in the game. But, yeah. yeah, they wanted you on the hook, essentially. So that was really frustrating. And I was, I just felt like, what am I, why have I, I've wasted that time. Was that a low point then? If you look back, yeah, was that, that was... a real kind
0: of moment where you thought, yeah, like, it Yeah,
1: or... it was a moment of definitely a lot of kind of like inward sort of, right, what am I doing? If we're not going to do this, I can't go back to just being an employee. This is just not going to work for me. I had a long weekend off. I think it was probably like August time, like long long bank holiday weekend. And absolutely randomly, I got a phone call on a Monday morning from a guy who's a subby, got a big decorating subcontractor. i has got 400 blokes work for him. I said, I need you to do me a favour. This client of mine, the management team are just a, not great, let's just say. Um, it's been bought by someone else and they need someone to run it. Will you have a conversation with them? So I went and had a conversation. The conversation turned into a job. They offered me the role of MD. I was just 30 years old. So it was the role of MD of one business and director of two others. And I'm not, you know, I can say it now. My ego was, like, massively flattered. It was a six-figure salary, 100 grand car, fuel car. It was an amazing package. Absolutely the wrong decision because I don't know about you, but most people could always find a situation where they've been promised something and when they actually get that thing, it's not quite what you think you were going to get.
0: If it's too good to be true, it probably yeah. is.
1: <laughs> so let's just say there were some challenges. Okay. Um, took about 12 months of a lot of, lot of really hard work. Bizarrely, I actually had a, a conversation in an interview on Clubhouse on Sunday morning with the old FD. Oh, wow. And we've not spoken for 10 years. Oh, my God. And we had the most amazing, really random conversation with Pete Cohen. Oh yeah. On live on Clubhouse. It like it was like a reunion almost. Pete's
0: also been on this podcast by I the know, way. I saw. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that that so that was amazing. So we did the work, we got it restructured, and then the banking crisis happened. And we got a payment in from Wandsworth Council. So what
0: year we in? We're in two thousand and eight. Are we yeah. then about yeah, so okay,
1: cool. Banks decided actually, yeah, we don't really like construction anymore. So it just dominated the whole group. And that was probably probably the lowest point, I think, because they'd just bought another business. That they'd asked me to go and run up in Liverpool or just outside of Liverpool. £12 million contracting business. Should never really have bought it. They bought it for a pound. And it, it yeah. <laughs> to say it was distressed was um, probably yeah. the understatement. So I decided that look, I need to I need to just get away. I was single at the time, so I literally just booked a flight. I bought a burner phone at the airport because I just wanted to just ditch my company phone because I was Yikes. getting so much grief, even though it was like nothing we'd done. And I was sitting in a cafe in this like absolute dirt track side road in Luxor in Egypt. And there was a guy sitting at a table opposite me and I could hear his voice. And I was like, that sounds really English. But, you know, when he's just like, I was literally in my own head, but I could hear this background noise. And the next thing, this phone that I bought rang. I thought, well, that's really weird because nobody has this number. It was a guy sitting at the table behind me. and said, turn around. And he had a gun. No. Yeah. And he said, if you think you can come to Luxor and escape what's gone on, you better think again. Wow. And with that, he got up and said, I'll see you back in England. Who was it? So he'd been hired by one of the creditors of a company up in Liverpool. So I stayed for, for the duration I was meant to be there. Came back. I had, I had meetings with all, not all but most of the creditors and was like, look, this is a situation. If you do your research, don't just go on hysteria, the fact that you're going to lose money. Do your due diligence and look at what I've actually done. What I've done is been appointed, come and ask for all of the information relating to a business that I've been appointed as a director but I'm not a shareholder of. And what I've realised within four hours is that actually this is not sustainable. So, what I've done is called a board meeting with the directors and said, Look, this situation, this, there's no way we can resolve this. We as directors need to appoint an administrator. So, you tell me what part of that is wrong. And they couldn't. And they were like, Okay, fair enough.
0: So, let's just wind back a little bit because we've got this moment where you're sitting in Luxor and all of a sudden you're facing potentially death in the face yeah, down a- the bar, Absolutely, yeah.
1: I thought the bloke was going to shoot me.
0: So, what's going. Well, is anything going through your mind at that point, or you? Can you is it? Is white it just white noise?
1: Do you remember, like a long so when the TV used to switch yeah, off yeah, at night? Yeah. White noise. That was all that was going in my head. Just come, And the really weird thing now, thinking about it, is the only thing I can liken it to is when I had COVID. One of the, the things that happened after that was complete brain fog. Mm-hmm. but I'm quite good at maths you have to be doing deals I couldn't make two and two and make four now arguably as a qs it should be three or five and never four mm-hmm. but I couldn't and it was that absolute brain fog I just could not think I was paralyzed shock. I couldn't move I couldn't stand up I couldn't turn just absolute shock and that's what that's all it was and when I had counseling years later that's what they said it would be it's, it's just uh, absolute yeah blunt blunt trauma trauma yeah because you just don't know what's gonna happen.
0: So so obviously you went back, you spoke to the administrators and and yep. and you, you kind of resolved everything, but did you resolve that trauma? How long did it take for you to really uncover that that trauma? Because you've had quite a lot of highs and lows here, haven't you? I mean, yeah, and, and I, I really appreciate you speaking so candidly because the thing is in business in life, careers, whatever. Not everything is going to go well. You're going to have highs and lows, aren't we, all of us? And actually, sometimes people don't talk about that. You just talk about all the great things. People
1: never talk about it.
0: And and it's important that we're honest and we, we share, I think, to support and help each other, and that's what this is all about. But that traumatic... There's been a couple of things. There was a moment where your mum made a comment that, that was hurtful. Yeah, that's... That was one yeah, thing. But that, that was power. Yeah, that was fuel
1: to yeah, keep that's been, going. Yeah, that's been my fuel ever since. And she
0: probably said it from a point of love, actually, yeah. and wanted to protect yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and then you've had, you know, some business, significant business ups and downs, gun being pointed at you, massive trauma. So at what point did you unravel that through counselling or whatever? At
1: what point did I unravel that? Or did, unravel, or did that unravel me? Or did it unravel
0: me? you? Okay, good, okay. good question so, back.
1: And I think there's a really important point about actually, before I answer that, so there's a really good book by Matthew Syed and it draws parallels between most business and aviation. And in aviation, when there's a problem, they open the black box, they work out what the issue is and they share it with every pilot. No other business does that. They brush it under the carpet. I just swore. They brush stuff, you can edit that bit, under the <laughs> carpet or leave it in. And we don't share And we're doing people a massive disservice because people can learn... But like I've learned loads through mentors, through being able to like get results ten times quicker by understanding other pe- things that other people have done wrong. So now I've swerved your question, I'll come back and answer it. So I didn't unravel it; it unravelled me. So I'm massively into my mindset and my development. Yep. I was on a retreat in Cork, and it was kind of so the retreat was like everyone's sitting around in like a horseshoe round conference table, and everybody had like a forty-minute hot seat followed by an hour of Q and A from other people to help and share and support what they were doing. And my hot seat was on day two in the morning. That was the agenda, it had been published weeks before, no drama, that's fine, and I'm thinking, Never been on a retreat before. At least I get to see the drop of how things work yeah. so I don't make myself look a mug. <laughs> I'm
0: not the first one. Exactly, because this
1: was my first rodeo yeah. at a retreat, not in right. business. So there'd been a few, and I'd seen grown people get absolutely like unravelled. And the thing that was quite apparent was that it was never the problem that they sat down and said, this is my issue. It was always something else. So I sat down on my, on my session, went through what all the business was. Everyone was like, wow, these numbers are really good. And these, and I'd given them some examples of client feedback and like what our PNL was and what our balance sheet was, and they were like, "Wow, this is good." And I was like, "Thank you." And they stopped, like, there was a, it wasn't like a like massive happy clappy Tony Robbins. This was like twenty people, I think. Yeah. And they were like, they all they all clapped, and I was like, I stood up, and I can, I'm putting myself back there now. And as I stood up, the mentor barked at me to sit down and shut the fuck up. I was like. Okay, I didn't see that coming. And they were so and then everybody was like, Well, why don't you bring someone in as a contracts manager? Because clearly this is scalable. And that's when I started to unravel. Because I was like, I don't want to put my head above a parapet. I'm quite happy. And I think I'd probably deliberately engineered to still play at a small level, even though I'd achieved quite a lot. I was still playing at a small level. We had a long conversation about that it ended up going on for like two or three hours about all of the stuff around that and what it meant and how i'd framed it in my head but there were lots of other alternative ways to frame it um i then spent some months going to see a counsellor because at the same time they, i'd been dealing with trying to support my wife through her breakdown and i'd not gone and got counselling for that and what i've since learned is that even counsellors have a supervisor. And that's not a supervisor as a manager. Mm-hmm. That's someone that checks in on, on their mental well-being. And I'd not done that because, uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Exactly, yeah. so, so all of that stuff just massively unraveled. And I just unwound faster than a kid's slinky going down the yeah. stairs. And I was just going, and that was the start for me to really kind of, I think, really, really rebuild my mental fortitude. Because as well as that, I've lost two really good friends who've taken their own life. Um, one when I was 18, which hit me really hard. Um, And then when I was 32, I think, I was sitting in a board meeting in Essex one day. All power suit, not quite Savile Row, but a nice suit, nice aftershave, nice watch. Business is going really well. We've got all the latest techs, an amazing-looking boardroom. And my phone rang, and it was someone that I'd gone to school with. And I'd not spoken to this guy for probably 10 years, apart from an, an odd text when he he needed like a favor or, or I needed him to help me because um, he's actually subcontracted work off me before but we've sort of lost touch because different people's paths going different sort of and I've not always been whiter than white you know I've dabbled with drugs and stuff and other people I learned other people haven't learned and he said to me John Bradley's taken his own life and my world just <laughs> just stopped at that point and I think all of those things happen for a reason. I just feel really sad that neither of those people felt that they could actually ask for help. And he I mean he did he undoubtedly didn't. My friend who committed suicide or took his own life rather, because you can't say committed suicide. Um when I was 18, I was on site the day he did it. And it was it was do you know what it was a day it started off as a really sunny day, and all of a sudden the rain just started coming down. And I went and hid in the lorry for a cigarette. And I looked at it, and I'd got a, a motor, I think it was a StarTac, it was one of the first mobile phones. And I'd got 21 missed calls on my phone. And one was from my mum, and 20 were from him. And all of that stuff I've carried, and I still do even now. But it's all fuel for never leave something unsaid. Connection is absolutely where it's at. And always, always check in with people and make sure people are okay. It's why I'm so passionate about it. It's why I'm so passionate about public speaking. It's why I'm so passionate about helping and supporting other people because not everyone has the luxury of being able to just go and get that kind of support. So, so yeah, it has been one hell of a roller coaster. And I don't like fairground rides. I don't. Literally, we've been in Brighton for two days and the kids were like, should we go? And like, you know what I think about them. If you want to go, that's fine, not for me. So, yeah, it's been one hell of a roller coaster. It's been, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I hope that it's only really just getting started. Um, I got diagnosed with an illness seven years ago called ulcerative colitis, which is incurable. And at some point, I'm going to have to have a bag, which took me a long time to sort of come to terms with, if I'm honest. But that was, that was the man, you talk about turning points, that was the defining turning point in my life, without a doubt. Because I knew then that, and I've, I've done some big schemes, I've done 25-storey tower blocks, I've done hundreds of units on site. There's loads of people that can go and build some stuff. There are less people that will show up and have a conversation with somebody and check in with someone and see how they are, and actually do that sort of work. And from then on, that's been what i've slowly been trying to move more and more of my time towards is why i do stuff with charities and that sort of stuff and that for me is where where the future is is sort of going that and the the education piece helping people learn that they're in the property industry about actually what that means and what they need to do to comply with it but it's all about for me it's about serving Mm -hmm. gps gratitude perspective and service and serving other people because you know, it can be a really lonely world out there, but it doesn't need to be. Business, small business is probably one of the loneliest places to be because you don't have, and I've been there, I know what it's like, you don't have, you know, if you're on the board of a FTSE 100, you've got a board of people. Now, I've done some really good interviews with people and and that brings its own set of challenges. But you do have a peer net, peer support network, you do have people, and you have more potential financial resources available, which means you can go and get different support. Lots of people in the SME world literally have no one, and they don't even want to talk to their spouse about it because they don't want to take work home or they don't want to burden someone with what what it is that might be challenging them. That's why I'm so passionate about helping people in that space.
0: It's it's an incredible um, journey. I mean, it really is because it strikes me there's a bit of a... And I'm only just thinking... I'm talking as I'm thinking now. Um, But, you, you know, if you think about you started construction, development, building something... In the physical world. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And now you've almost had to rebuild your own mental resilience capacity through the yep. journey you've been on. So it's been a bit of a rebuild yeah, bit, if you like, yeah. in yeah, in see. the in the sort of um more of the mental arena and the spiritual side of things. I'm yeah, not talking about religion, but spiritual. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now you're helping others kind of bring those two worlds together so yes build a business yes know how to construct amazing developments but actually what about building yourself through the process and, yeah. and I think to me listening to what you've been through and what you've achieved you're as you said you're exactly where you're supposed to be yeah, right. and I remember us having a conversation because you and I we've met through our public speaking and yeah. training and working on our development trying to be better better people in you know in that space yeah. Um, and I remember you saying in one of the sessions that you really found your reason why, your true purpose, you feel like you know what it is now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm worth, that is what I'm, what, what I'm working on. And literally just yesterday I said no to what would have been a massive opportunity that a year ago I would have run towards 100 miles an hour because it doesn't fit with that. And that's hard. That is sometimes some of the hardest decisions are the most powerful word in this country is no. And knowing when to say no to stuff because stuff that looks like it can be great, actually, if it takes you off of your course or what your purpose is, it's not actually serving you. And to come back to the point that you were making, the learning part is really important, but it's also important to go back and look at the stories that you were telling ourselves about things that have happened in the past or things that we've learned in the past. And is that actually serving us? Because as an average human, we have 50,000 thoughts a day. Now, we have a choice when that thought lands in our head, and I know how hard this is. Do we choose to take it on board and and reevaluate it, or do we just go, it's just a thought? Hi, see you. But most people don't do that, because people don't understand that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm not some psychologist that's no. some expert, but I've done enough work to know that we all have stories we tell ourselves about how we feel or how we, how we experience something, but they're quite often not actually serving us, and they're stopping us going forward. So. It's as important to do some unlearning as it is to do some learning. And, you know, people, most people who've got computers will understand what to defrag your drive means. That's really, it's important to do that as well. And that's why I love mentoring. It's why I like going on retreats, because for me, that's an opportunity to do my mental filing, defrag my drive, put everything back in place so that when I want to go again, I know where all the bits that are that I need.
0: And you've got to create that space, haven't you? You know, you've got to you've got to declutter. You've got to get rid yeah, of that, some of that stuff that maybe you've been hanging on. Um, you know, whether it's emotionally or physically or whatever. You know, you've got to let it go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just
0: let it go. Choose the, choose your battles, yeah. choose the, you know, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. I think when we're in our earlier career, we we get obsessed about other, th- yeah. like little, what really are little things. Do. And when you're faced with a life or death situation, like you were a person who you've lost a loved one, mm. you know, like you have unfortunately, you know, your two, two friends that took their own lives. Or someone's gone through a traumatic experience like your wife with the bullying in the the plea, you know, all these kind of things. It really helps you put perspective to things, doesn't it? And and actually you realise, why am I stressing about X, Y, Z? Let's just drop it. Drop it and focus on what's really important. And that that takes maturity. It it takes a little bit of... um...
1: It definitely does. I think it takes maturity and it takes perspective. Yeah. And I didn't realise until many years later... One of my biggest sage mentors who's like one of the top people in the whole of like construction industry, said to me many years ago, remember one thing. Don't sweat the small stuff, but realise everything is actually small stuff because none of it will matter in five months or five years. So if, it, if it's, if it's going to matter in five years' time, it's not small stuff. You need to sweat it. Other than that, why are you wasting time about it? Because tomorrow... No one's going to care about it.
0: That is really good advice, actually. Really good advice. I've been
1: pretty fortunate. I've, you know, I've invested a lot, but I've been fortunate to have some amazing and still have some amazing mentors. And, and I'm a massive believer that actually, yeah, you can do it on your own. You can. Without a shadow of a doubt, you can. There's, there's people that have done it themselves. that are a testament to that. But if you want to do it and know you're doing the right thing and have the comfort and the peace of mind that actually you are doing the right thing at the right time, then yeah massively get mentors because it's a really really good way to to sense check what you're doing learn from other people's experiences but also Get feedback from the wider industry because mentors don't just mentor one person; they mentor loads of other people as well. So they can cross-pollinate ideas and, and also share opportunities as yeah. well.
0: hundred percent. I mean, you know, you're a mentor, I'm a mentor. We've both been mentored and coached over the yeah. years. You know, so we're living proof that that it might it might certainly makes a massive difference it to my career, works. life, and yeah. mindset and stuff. Absolutely, so, huge advocate as well. I just want to touch on um, the the sort of how do I put this in a <laughs> in a different round.
1: It is just the construction
0: industry, very male dominated, right?
1: Yeah, unfortunately it is. is
0: For you know, for for some some not a surprise given the physicality of some of the jobs involved, you know, because you know, I'm all for equality, diversity, inclusion is a massive thing that I've you know, I I spent a lot of time making sure that men, women, LGBTQ, Gender race doesn't matter to me. Everyone should have an opportunity, yeah. right? But the, the reality is often that men are physically stronger than women. not always, but there is yeah. a physicality around mm. it. So it's not a surprise that construction is more male, is very male-dominated, right? Yeah. It's not. Um, however, what I think is really humbling about you is the fact that you're, you know, you're a big guy, you're very much a You're in construction. Very physical, yeah. physical world, very male dominated. And yet you're not afraid now to share your feelings, your emotions, to talk about all this stuff. Whereas I think a lot of men struggle with that. Yeah, they do, massively. And, you know, whether it's pressure from society, it's seen as a weakness, when actually it's a massive strength to be able to, you know, men can cry, it's okay. So can we just talk about that a little bit, how you help men in particular? Because I'm sure a lot of the people you mentor are probably more male than female. Yeah,
1: probably. Probably 80, 20. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so... How do you help guys get comfortable with some of this stuff that maybe they feel less comfortable with naturally?
1: I think that, you know, with anything, you've got to lead from the front. I think the most... I haven't checked in the last few months, but the most engagement I've ever had on a social media post was when I posted about the fact that my head was a shed and I'm going to see a counsellor tomorrow. If you can identify with... And it was about a two-minute video. And it was, if you can identify with anything I've said... If you want to reach out to me that's great but just drop me a dm and we'll signpost it to some services because i'm not a trained mental health first aider i've got my own mental health and i've done a lot of work around it i've interviewed people on it um, and i will happily help people but it's not something i'm qualified in so i think for me the starting point is actually getting people to check in with themselves you know how do you feel what are you telling yourself what are you experiencing how are you behaving with other people are your behaviors different with people that you love are your behaviors different with people at work that for me is a starting point lane it always comes back to us so i look at my life in lanes lane one so lane one's me lane two is my relationship with my wife lane three is my relationship with my children and then various different businesses which i've got about i look like a hong kong motorway so it always starts with lane one so what what are you telling yourself how are you feeling how are you feeling feeling physically spiritually emotionally are you tired? Are you full of energy? So it always starts with actually that person first and what are they actually feeling? And, and I'll lead that. And it's just uh, coming back to that checking in exercise, yeah. it's always right. This is like, I'll say, right, this is what we're going to do. This is, and I'll go first. So I'll say, right, okay, bang. So, I've, and there is nothing I, I won't talk about. You know, having you see enough to get your wife to take suppositories and put them in the bin means my dignity set sail a long time ago. So, Nothing is off the table. So I will literally talk about anything. So it's really the starting point is where are they at? How are they feeling? And by oh, by going first and showing actually this is where I'm at, people very slowly start to talk about stuff. And I don't think men talk about stuff necessarily any slower than women do. I think there are probably... Massive societal pressures. Yeah. You know, you get gangs of blokes to go out. They don't first start talking about their feelings and their thoughts, yeah. whereas women have done that for a, for a, for a great long period of time. Certainly in peer groups, yeah. perhaps not with their parents. I mean, I did some fascinating podcast interviews around the menopause, mm-hmm. and had some amazing conversations about the fact that that women don't talk to their mums about the fact they're going through the menopause because quite often they'll just get told, well. I had to deal with it. Get on with it. What are you banging on about? (laughs) So I don't think necessarily it's exclusive to men. I think there are challenges. I think we need to be very careful around the whole subject because there's lots of people, you know, there's a difference between mental health and mental illness. And I've seen what's happened to people that have got the latter, and that is not pretty. But there are lots of people that just need some support, that are going through a bit of a tough time, that haven't got anybody to talk to and with some support we'll be fine there's a world of difference between that and somebody that genuinely is mentally ill and i think part of the problem is that the services are getting clogged up with people that actually with the right support would be fine but they're being signposted to the wrong services and then consequently services are being overwhelmed so at the start of lockdown three months into lockdown one I interviewed one of the top CBT practitioners in the UK because CBT is massive for mental health.
0: Explain what CBT
1: is. Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. So that, my wife used it, and I've seen other people get massive benefits from it. Their services were 80% down on the previous year because people didn't want to trouble the NHS yeah. because they thought they were too busy. Yeah, so they were
0: trying to deal with it on their own or not deal with it. Yeah,
1: or not deal with it. Fast forward to the end of like the last lockdown, they're 400 times overwhelmed.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: It's all come to... It's all now coming to fruition. And people do find it hard. People, you know, we took away people's ability to connect face-to-face. You know, forget being defined by our job role or or our marital situation or our societal role. <clears throat> we're human beings first, and we're hardwired for connection. That is what we need that to survive. We needed that when we were in tribes and in groups hundreds and thousands of years ago by removing that that that's absolutely huge and i don't think that there was enough work done around actually what that would look like before the decision was taken to lock down the whole of a country
0: no, because it was an emergency and you're dealing with the crisis, exactly. aren't you? And, and yeah. actually, the fallout is, like you say, significant. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think um, I think a big part is communication, yeah. you know, and there's a great book, actually, which I recommend called Fierce Conversations by Susan mm-hmm. Scott. I don't yeah. know if you've read it. Right. Um, OK, So it, it, and it works on a personal basis, works on work, business, yeah. whatever. But the point being that if you need to have a difficult or a tricky conversation with someone... Um, 9 times out of 10 people will avoid it because they don't want conflict right and they see it as conflict or confrontation or whatever but actually what can then end up happening is that problem festers 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 and then it it ends up you know it ends up in a relationship breaking down maybe end of it in divorce or it ends up in a business failing or it ends up in a poor performer you know you're having to have an even worse conversation so a lot of that stuff could actually be dealt with very similar with mental mental health if you can communicate and give permission to people and you're giving people permission to say, you know what, I've been there too, my journey is very different to yours, but actually I'm a guy, you might look at me and think, oh, you know, you're you're a strong, you know, male guy in the construction world, very successful businessman, but actually... What I love about you is the fact you give people permission, you say, it's okay, and I'm here for you as well, but also I'm not qualified, I'm not a trained, but I can share my journey and I can point you in the right direction of some great resources that, you know, that can help. And that is incredible. That is incredible what you're doing. Honestly, it really is. And you should feel so proud of yourself. I think you're just phenomenal. Really
1: well, not. I'll take that. Thank you. Um, I don't agree with you, okay? I think with respect I think as human beings that's just being human I think it's forgotten but I do see it that's just being a human being you know, what are we you know we're here to help and support each other I get more I get more of an adrenaline buzz out of seeing somebody that I coach or mentor go and achieve something than I do for myself and I found it really hard because I was always so career driven and so profit driven that I I got more of a buzz out of seeing somebody I'd mentored get promoted and leave caused me a headache because I yeah, then got yeah. to recruit yeah. someone for that quite a senior role, yeah. but then go and get recruited and go and earn four times what I did in another business. My proudest achievement as a mentor was a message I got sent by someone's husband that said, "My wife has slept soundly in her bed for the first time in six months as a result of a session she's done with you." I can't do any greater work than that. That's giving somebody back peace of mind. And as human beings, is that do we not just want to help and support each other?
0: Well, I think we should. I think we should. But the reality is, it doesn't always happen, or people are so no. busy with their own yeah, situation they that they don't necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. Think, so. yeah,
1: I've been guilty of that. I've, you know, been in my own bubble, yeah. been in my own bubble way too much. But
0: so when, try not to be. But when you look back, what would you say to that little boy in the playground that's being bullied and going through all of the things? What would you say?
1: What would I say? I would say, be the bigger person and walk away because I've also seen what can happen with one punch and you can kill someone. It takes a bigger person to just turn around and go, do you know what? That's their issue, not mine and walk away. At the time, it feels like absolutely the thing you don't want to do. But it's much more fulfilling to, to be able to look back and go, do you know what? Yeah, I didn't do that.
0: So, do you feel you've kind of come a bit full circle with where you started as a kid with all that stuff going on, and where you are today? Or do you feel there's more for you to develop yourself and continue on your? I mean, obviously I'll, be lot, but... to, I'll be
1: developing. I'll be developing until the day that I can't do any more work, and that's not because I'm complete. Because don't think we are. It'll be the day that I physically either can't hold a book, can't listen to some content, yeah. or can't can't learn in some way i'm you know i don't believe any of us are ever fit no matter how amazing we are and whatever we've achieved i don't think we're ever really finished i think we can always learn it's the, like f- before i get out of bed in the morning i open my eyes and i look, think about three things i'm grateful for and when i look in the mirror and wash my face i tell the world that i know nothing and today i'm going to learn something because none of us are too big for our own boots that we can't learn something from someone You've just got to see where the, where the lesson is and where the opportunity is. You know, I get more opportunities these days than ever before, and that's not probably necessarily because I'm out there more. I think it's just a mindset thing.
0: Yeah, you've raised your vibration, but I agree, we're all work in progress all the day we go Yeah, massively. Yeah, every day's a school day. Work
1: in progress is a massive <laughs> subject, and it means different things to different people. Of
0: course it does, of course it does. So I've got a few final questions, which if that's let's... all right. Okay, so illustrious career, ups and downs. You've been on that big dipper. Yeah, most emo- definitely. Emotionally, mental, health-wise, business-wise, all of that stuff, family-wise, relationships, the whole shebang. Um, so when you look back, can you think of the best piece of advice that you've been given?
1: The best piece of advice that I've been given? Wow. Yeah, I can. Get out your own way. So many people are in their own way because they don't realise they need to actually go, do you know what? I can do that thing. That thing that I think I can't do, actually I can. I just need to work out how to do it or who can help me, support me, do it. And that's not me promoting coaching or mentoring. That's just from my own experience. I know I've not achieved stuff because I've been in my own way telling myself I couldn't do it for, for any number of reasons. So mm-hmm. that, I think that probably would be my biggest closely followed.
0: Oh, you're greedy having two. Go on, I've I'll got let to be you. greedy. But
1: <laughs> skill set without mindset equals upset because it's so true. You don't, you know. We all need, as a business, you need all the right skills. But if you haven't got the right mindset, you can have the best set of skills in the toolbox, but they're not going to get you there.
0: Yeah, it's an inside job, isn't it? it certainly is. We'll start with start with that first. So, can you think of any bad advice that you've had that didn't go so well, or maybe you or maybe you ignored some advice because you? Oh, thought I've ignored the time.
1: loads of. <laughs> I've ignored loads of advice. I I got told many many years ago never work for someone else and always be self employed, and I but and I did. I did take that for a long time i don't necessarily think that that's true i think it's i think people have got to do what serves them and for some people that is a -A paya job but that doesn't have to define you you know we've all got 24 hours in a day whether you're bill gates barack obama or or You, it's how much you achieve is down to how you spend your time and what you focus on so you might have a -A paya job but and i hate this phrase but i'm going to use it but you might decide that you want to get a side hustle and do something else and that might just be some education, or it might just be a job where you, do, you make something at home. I mean, I had a job when I was 10, no, 12, putting together car phone aerials. So do you remember the aerials they used to stick on the windscreen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me and my brother used to put the aerial bits, all the little brass ferrules on a piece of wire at home together, and we had to do 3,000 for 30 quid. But there's, there's ways of making money. Is if it? you think yeah. that, there's always a way that you can do stuff, especially in this day. Anybody that can't make money in this day and age, is not doing it right because there's so many ways that you can leverage tech and the IT stuff. In yeah, case. and
0: we're lucky, aren't we? We live in it. We live in yeah, a society massively. in a developed world where you know we're very privileged compared yeah, to other parts of the world, and and I think that yeah. makes us incredibly well. It makes me incredibly grateful. Yeah, it does me too. It opportunity everywhere. So my final question. Go for it. So this podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, as yeah. you know. So what does that mean to you, Richard?
1: Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Okay, so for me, it means fundamentally, absolutely embracing, embracing being courageously imperfect.
0: Mm. Love that! What a way to finish.
1: There you go.
0: Fantastic. So where can people find you, Richard?
1: People can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Facebook. Or they can find me on Instagram. I'm rmstone2011 on Instagram. I'm a very visual person, so <laughs> I love a bit of Instagram. But, yeah, I'm on most of the social platforms.
0: Oh, fantastic. You know what? I can't thank you enough. I've been really looking forward to doing this interview. Yeah, and honestly, too. I've loved our conversation. It's, a yeah, bit it's a been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.